Alright, Mike, we're going to get started in three, two, one. Here we go. Mike McIntosh, welcome to the hive. What's going on, man? I'm in the hot seat. Nah, it's not the hot seat. You're just in the seat. You get to come in, sit down. We get to talk about things. Happy to be here. So, Mike, we've known each other for a while now. It's really surprising how long we've actually known each other. 2002? Yeah, it's crazy. That's 18 years? 16. 16 years. 16. All the time. It's wild how, how time goes. Yeah, I'm at that point now. I keep saying it over and over again because it keeps blowing my mind. But in 2018, again, this is my 20-year anniversary yeah, of running my own gym. On that. Thank awesome. you. I'm not saying it for congrats. I'm just saying from a time perspective, it's really hard to believe that I was 24 20 years ago. Yeah. I started my business 20 years ago. I've done so many things that are now in the past that way, but you're, it's cool. It's cool. Young. I was really young. I started I started really young. I was 32 when I started. So, not everybody knows who you are. Yes. We obviously have history, so we know each other. So, with the audience, they don't know you, but you're Mike McIntosh. That's correct. And we are fighting over the background noise at the gym again. This is just how this podcast goes. Yeah. It starts off with the guys here. Eventually, they'll filter out, and then it'll get nice and soft and sound very professional. Let's well, call it going to turn the lights off. Oh, God. Someone's been listening. But so, Mike, you you actually own your own school. Yes, East Coast Martial Arts in Wall, New Jersey, on Highway 35. And... Oh my God, these guys! Okay, Mike. So your your place, you don't you you train a little bit different style. You know, martial arts schools are not all the same. What is it that you specifically do? Primarily three things: um, strength and conditioning, striking, and reality-based self-defense. And your specialty is kids, right? Kids. Yes, we have an adult program, but I specialize with uh, working with children. I stopped working with kids a while ago, and for no specific reason, it was it was just kind of a I don't know it was a focusing of my time. Um, probably not the most cost effective switch for me because there's always more kids interested in martial arts than adults. But I I don't know there was there was a lot of benefit teaching kids. Uh, the the long term impact I've had on people's lives that started out with me and kids that I now run to that they're adults to, to see the successes they've had and to feel somewhat a part of that has been great for me. But for you, uh, how did you evolve into somebody that teaches kids the way you do? Should I go back to the beginning? Well, I don't know. I'm just kind of like, what's, so you, you, you teach a lot of kids. Uh, how did you get at what where was the crossroads that pulled you in the direction of teaching kids versus having a primarily a, adult program? Because you do teach adults, but it's not your main focus. I mean, what do you say percentage-wise, kids versus adults? 90-10. Uh, yeah, so 90, how did you end up with 90% kids is pr pretty much the question. probably into my second year in my dojo. When I first opened, I was all adults and all kids. I wanted to be all things to all people. And I had as big of an adult program as I had a kid program. And something just drew me. I enjoyed teaching kids more. Okay. I enjoyed teaching kids more and, and watching them grow and working with them. And at that point, the adult program, 
I think maybe because I lost a little focus on my adult program, I started focusing more on the kids that the adult program started to dwindle and the kids program started to go, so I just ran with that. And I haven't looked back since. It's funny. At, you're, you're saying how you had as many kids as you did adults. When I had that going on, yeah. that means my kids program was garbage. I had no kids. Oh, really? <laughs> like I, when I had the same yeah. amount of kids and adults, it was bad. But I, I did at, at my highest point, I had like 112 kids in my program. Wow. It was, that was wild. I had a lot of kids. How young did you take them when you were teaching kids? What was your age cutoff? I started them at six. Six. Because I started at six. Right. So I figured six was a good age. Right. So, you know me, I like to give people the same opportunities I felt like sure. I got. So I figured I, at six was good for me. It would be good to start there. And I feel like under six, you end up being more of a babysitter than an instructor. Indeed. And I feel, honestly, at this point, even upwards closer to eight, I think under eight, gymnastics would probably serve them a better purpose than trying to do martial arts in a lot of ways because it's not so much you're teaching them how to fight you're you're not teaching them combatives you're using combatives to teach them coordination give them physical discipline basically exactly and that's how we operate at my dojo yeah and you don't you teach uh, you teach more modern combatives yes I do nothing what they would call traditional would you say nothing traditional I mean, I would assume traditional I'm concepts. I'm like, a trick like, question at you because you know me. I, I actually think that tradition is about effect, being effective. I think that it's martial arts that we teach. It's not purely art. It's martial art. It's combative arts. Right. Combat has winning and losing with a very high penalty. Sport is win and lose on points and structure. Sure. Combative you die when you lose right. or you give up a piece of your person or your physical, property yeah, there's yeah. There, it's a different level of consequence so when you teach combative arts i think the traditional thing when people start saying tradition in a lot of ways i just hear i was taught this way i don't want to change i'm very comfortable yes. and they lose that connection with the reality of traditional martial arts at the time in which a lot of people say they're throwing back to you. We'll throw out a lot of people that teach Japanese stuff. They'll say, oh, I'm doing it the samurai way. There's no fucking samurai that would be that if you time traveled him is going to force in 2018 someone to fight his way. He's right. going to drop his sword, pick up a gun or pick up whatever's available and fight in a way that's going to keep him alive exactly. because that's the objective is to survive. So when you say traditional I think a modern combative is traditional because traditional combat sports, the goal is to win the encounter. And it doesn't matter how you win the encounter, it's that you win the encounter. And if it's an evolution of a lineage, then you are a part of a tradition. The only thing that I would say is a departure from that is if you are not part of a lineage, which is not your case, and you're making your own shit up, well, then you're starting a new thing. But even that is going to become its own tradition in time. So this whole traditional thing, just because you wear... Oh, my God, these guys are loud again. But if you're wearing... Just because you're wearing a gi and you have a belt doesn't mean you're traditional. It's one thing that drives me fucking crazy. But that was my little rant about tradition. But, you know, you, you know, we've had a lot of conversations about that. So... 
when you say I, I threw that a little bit of a curveball because I think what you do is absolutely in a combative perspective something that follows the tradition of combatives over time and I think that you and I we've talked a lot about this I think that the struggle for both of us is to how do we stay relevant in today's world with the things that we do yes. so that we're continuing to be effective for me it's more combat sport for you it's more pure combatives right but staying current Stay staying current. 2018 about it yeah. thinking about where we're going to be in 2019 not doing shit that we did in 1985 or 86 and saying it's relevant if it's not and then calling it tradition right so that yeah. that that's the one thing that's one of the, the the reasons why i think we've become the friends that we have and we've spoken so much about the business is because we do have that attitude where it's not so much about doing it the way it used to be done and then faking it as tradition but we respect where we come from we carry along the principles and we apply them in a modern way using the information that we have today yeah and when i say modern too one thing is i'm not saying that we're better than the people that came before us i'm just saying that the strength of what they gave us gives us the that's the platform in which we build the future sure and so modern is just being progressive in our approach not stepping back constantly and that's one thing that's why I had opened up my own school right I was in a position where I, I I saw an evolution in things occurring and I saw that the dojo that I was a part of was fighting to stay the same and I didn't want to I didn't want to fight to stay the same I wanted to fight to consistently grow and win was there anyone involved in that dojo that you could speak to about that at the time? Or was it or were you kinda like on your own with that? I was I actually not only was I on my own, but I was being pushed I was being pushed into my own corner in a lot of ways yeah. because one of the problems I have in martial culture, and we talked about this the other day, is that there, we're humans. There's a humanity here. And that in a lot of ways, the, the martial arts world is asking us to deny our humanity. They're asking us to deny our individuality. They're asking us to... Uh, before before the, you know, YouTube and all that, we, we looked to a lot of really bad sources for information. You looked at books that were just pictures and then writing, and a lot of the writing that we saw too was translated. So if you were reading the J.K.A. Shotokan book, it was a bad English translation. And the and the Asian language in a lot of ways, when it translates into English, it sounds more philosophical, I'll say, than it necessarily is. You mean than they necessarily intended it to be? Well, it's just different cultures. So when they say you're stepping like the wind in, in in our western mind where we're trying to attach this mystical property to what we're doing that just sounds so nice oh i'm gonna step like the wind i'm gonna be one with nature i'm gonna connect my navel with the universe it's like no the guy was telling you step directly <laughs> he wasn't saying glide like the wind and connect with the universe it's like no put your foot fucking here but because of the translation it came differently so you have these cultural differences that people latched onto, and then they create this mystical type environment I, we i'm i'm older than you but 
my I mean I grew up watching the Big Apple movie. I mean I grew up watching Kung Fu Theater where guys had magical yeah. powers. Yeah. And then I put my pajamas on with a belt to practice my art and there was this I this cultural of this like mystical thing you know smash your hands until they become bricks and sure. just take punishment until you get used to it uh, if it hurts just keep going it'll get stronger you're different you're a karate guy now you know it, sweep the leg yeah but it, but that, that was very western that was very western the Asian thing the the the, the it wasn't it was the fake Asian thing. It was that fake Buddhist monk on the mountain bullshit that some Westerner decided to sell us as a bag of goods. Yeah. You know, that's why I, I love the, that's why I love MMA. Cause when the UFC came about, it blew up all of that garbage. Oh, completely. Just destroy. Like, I mean, you basically, they walked in and they said, everything you're doing is bullshit. Yeah. And then you had a decade where instructors were either trying to keep their students away from that information or talk so much shit about it yeah. and then make up more shit about what they're doing like yeah. it was crazy like the death touch guys oh, oh god i i can't really i can't compete in the ufc because i would kill somebody too deadly. yeah i'm too deadly for the cage okay whatever <laughs> like i can get a blue belt in jujitsu it'll take you down and choke you out before you can hit your death touch yeah. so, i used to watch those and they used to they used to piss me off now i just laugh it's just funny oh my there are god people out there that still that I like that and other people that buy into that what's that Sistema that Russian martial arts Sistema yeah is there a, I, you come from more of the self-defense world and Sistema has kind of put itself there is there an actual legitimate Sistema or is it all that weird stuff I don't know too much about the Russian martial art of that um, I would say I would think it is close to like a Russian version of Ramaga okay maybe don't quote me on that but that part of the world, I never really studied too much. Um, I'll find that out for you. How old are you? Thirty-seven. Okay, so you really—I mean, you weren't. Were you in high school when the UFC came out? Ninety-three. I was just get, getting into high school. Yeah. Were you doing martial arts at the time? I was boxing at the time. I was too afraid to do martial arts. You were too afraid. My friend and I, my best friend, saw Rocky. So where did we go? <laughs> We went to a boxing gym, Middletown Police Athletic League Boxing Club. Yep. And we boxed there for a while. Nothing crazy. And at the time, the Middletown PAL, that was the place in this area. That there was, was no better program. It was right when Johnny Molnar turned pro. Yes. And a bunch of other guys coming out there. Arturo was in there once. Yeah. And well, wasn't Molnar one of his sparring partners? Yes, he was. Yeah, my, one of my really good friends... Who's no longer with us, Paul Curascolo, he came out of the Middletown PAL program and he was a very strong amateur, had no aspirations to go pro, but he was very involved in boxing through the Middletown program and he always had amazing stories to tell about that particular period. It, yeah. You know, that was, so continue, sorry. So yeah, I, I mean, I was kind of a little, I mean, I was 12, 13 years old, so I was like the little guy watching all the big guys. It was cool, it was fun, I had a good time, got good workouts in, and then my best friend said, all right, I'm going to try karate. <laughs> I said, okay, I'm just going to hang here and box. I'm cool. And he kept bothering me. He's still my best friend to this day. He's like, you got to come try this dojo. You got to come. You got to come. You got to come. And just to shut him up, I went. And they scared the daylights out. Why? What was so scary about it? 
we were throwing punches, breathing like boxers do, and these guys were like with the key eyes and the yelling and the screaming, and I'm like, what, what, what did I just walk into? I mean, I, I maybe I never took a karate class as a kid a day in my life. But so you had preconceived ideas then because you came in and then you saw them doing what they were doing. So what gave you that? What what did you come in contact with that? made you think weird about that like in the martial arts world like, yeah like I the what i grew up with the ninja turtles um the kung fu theater stuff i never really watched i i didn't know too much about martial arts but it had a weird mystical kind of superhero connotation to it i think because of all the kids in my school like some of them that were training in martial arts like i was afraid of them I, i've never seen them do anything it was just all upstairs in yeah, my head. Yeah, that's what I'm kind of getting at because it was the that's the funniest part that you said that you pegged it. The kids in my school that were doing martial arts, you were scared of them even though you never saw them do a thing. Never once. They just had belts and they wore yeah. uniforms and they went to a place and they screamed really loud Although, and they were part of like a group of them. I did see one kid practicing his moves. Remember the old? Um, we must have been in like first or second grade. Remember the old metal jungle gyms? Yes. Well, this kid decided it was a good idea to climb to the top of it and practice his kata. And he hit every rung on the <laughs> He was messed up. He was out Oh, cold. my God. Like, the, 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 the teachers were, like, dragging him. His, his body was, like, lifeless. So we have a school in Osh Township, Dow Avenue School, and they have a pit where they have a circle of tires. Okay. And then in the center was a sand pit. And I did karate. Uh, and another kid who I went to school with did judo. I'm seven or eight. I've been doing karate for a year or two, and I've been told, you know, from the from the beginning, from the get go, that karate is the most deadly art in the world. If I could hit him with a reverse punch, you know, that's all I need. I'm gonna kill somebody. From the hip. So this kid does judo, and everybody kind of egged us on. And I remember it was like, I think we have to fight. I don't want to hurt you, though. You don't know how to sure. kick and punch. And the kid just grabbed me and well, threw me on down. the ground. Yeah. But he threw me on the ground. And because in judo they don't learn submissions that young, he threw me on the ground and he pinned me. <laughs> and I remember I'm sitting there and I'm like, if I get up, I'm going to kill him. But I have no idea how I'm going to get up. And the kid's holding me down and holding me down. And he goes, I really don't know what to do from here. <laughs> and I was like, well, if we get up. I won't hit you if you don't throw me on the ground again. Yeah. He was like, okay. And we kind of agreed to stop. Stop. Yeah. So we got up. Nobody really talked any shit. Like, we just got up. And I'm like, how did you do that? And he was like, well, I don't know. This is what we do. I was like, okay. I think that's pretty cool. And then that was my introduction to grappling. So at seven eight years old i realized really fast that karate was just a piece of the puzzle and i didn't do judo right away i did judo a couple years later i started to get involved in judo and that really made me understand that karate had a lot of holes in it right in terms of an art karate had had this big it spoke very highly of itself but in actual combat it was limited yeah i mean this is in the 80s but as a child in the 80s, I got to realize that pretty quick, which was cool. But, um, yeah, it's funny. I think we all have this schoolyard, whatever story. Yeah. You're going to get the cord under your arm. Yeah. So just be careful with that. I'm freezing. I'm always freezing. <laughs> it's because you're skinny. 
Got to get fat like me. Well, I'm used to living in a hot environment, too. Brian will never come to my house because he knows how hot I keep it. No, it's because you have a freaking dog and my allergies will kill me. He's a great dog. Yeah. dog. I, I'm, a, I'm a dog person. It's just uh, my body doesn't like me being a dog person. So you went and then you go to this school and then how did they break you of your preconceived ideas? I didn't. I ran away back to the boxing gym for a couple of years. Okay. Was it the school you ended up at that you went to? Yes. Okay. Yeah, so was, how did they get you back? They. I came back. I stopped boxing late in high school. I never played any sports in high school. I just boxed and then boxed at home when I wasn't boxing at the gym. So that was like my thing. And it was when I was in college. I went to college in Syracuse. And I had an ex-girlfriend at the time who had a black belt in Taekwondo. And we just started talking, comparing boxing to Taekwondo, and I decided to give martial arts a try again. And I found this combination Gojiru Taekwondo Ninjutsu School up in Syracuse, New York. I, I, the ninjutsu part is definitely appropriate to the time. Oh god! It was yeah. This was in nineteen. This was this was in ninety nine. Okay. And I don't know, I don't know how that survived as long as it did because those schools dis they're they're gone and they they're probably like in the middle of Ohio somewhere a bunch of guys in a field or upstate New York yeah that's true because right. it's kind of in the middle of nowhere up there yeah. anyway yeah and uh, so I, I got into it up there um, and that's when I started getting I guess that's when I started getting into like the Bruce Lee movies and stuff and I mean I was the kid I was the kid in the dorm room nineteen years old in the like dorm rec area with the lights off and my black gi and like a yellow belt doing forms and kata and i could understand why a lot of the students that lived on my floor was like yeah this guy's cool and i was totally into it i loved it yeah but again it goes to this bullshit oh yeah that we're all sold in that time period i was personally but now i th there's a minority of people that get I, that way about stuff i think that i think that the ufc really did change the way we look at it i think that the, it's one of, it's kind of we saw that who the wizard really was sure and i think that it's more of a minority of people that fall into that i'm going to say trap in a lot of ways because it exists in every culture but being a person that lived and trained in Japan, I can tell you that they look at the martial arts in a lot of ways. Like we look at normal sports. Okay. Getting a black belt is just something that you have by the time you get out of high school. Right. If you do judo, you're a black belt by the time you're in high school. And sure. You have multiple degrees of your black belt if you do it through college. And karate in a lot of ways is the same way. They, the, the, the rank is tied into education over there because the founder of rank, Kano, and, Kano on the judo side and then Funakoshi on the karate side, where they were, they were, teachers. They were school, teachers. school teachers. So they applied modern education to martial arts. There's no mystical meaning to any of these belt colors. I, I mean, I did you, you, you've probably heard this one. You know, you got a white belt and then the colors represent the changing of the belt because you would wear it so long the colors would change. change yeah. You know that story is still told. It's like, of course it is. Of course it is. It's a nice story. And it was told to me, me many times. I tell my kid that 
Santa Claus is real. Yeah. But that's because he's four. Yeah. But when he's an adult, I'm going to tell him that Santa Claus was a made-up concept to make you feel good about Christmas. Sure. It's the same shit with these belts. And I'm sure a lot of people are going to be mad that I'm saying this, but sorry. Your belts are a marker of time. Exactly. There's nothing else to it. It's just something that you wear that says you've done some things. Right. And but that's it. That's it. And the thing that kills me the most is when you apply all this bullshit to belts, you start to, because you've got the belt around your waist, sometimes people forget that it's the training that got them the belt. Yes. And it's the training that's going to keep the skills current with the belt. I, we used to call them bow tie black belts. Yep. So it was the old man who was so fat that his black belt that used to, the, where the, the, Belt used to hang to his knees. Now it looks like a bow tie because you know he started off with a 32-inch waist. Now he's got a 48-inch waist, and his yeah. belt barely fits. But they walk around like you know they're the baddest man on the planet because they have that black belt. But they haven't trained. No. Now, I do have to preface that because you're okay with that. It's okay. I can hear you clear. The um, the thing about that though. I can't do this the way I did it. Physically. Physically. Yeah. I'm 44. I'm going to be 44. I keep saying that. I'm not 44 yet. I'm going to be 44. When, I'm still when, 43. When he turned 44? In March. Okay. So it's close. It's close. I'm ju- I think I keep saying it because I'm just trying to get used to the reality that I'm getting closer to 50. But really? Yeah. It is what it is. I don't care. But uh, I digress. But yeah, you can't do things physically the way you used to. But it doesn't mean... Any of my achievements are less because I can't achieve them anymore. I achieve them. And again, it's the value of my art. The the value of the art that I teach today is not me directly doing it, but it's me having the ability to take the experience experience. from when I was at my, my peak there and I can apply that experience in a way that's relevant and valuable to the people that I train today. Yes. So there are guys that I'm saying are bow tie black belts that still provide a high value to their students. The guys that I have the problem with are the ones that froze in time, never got any better, never actually learned how to teach their craft effectively, and they just convinced people that they're deserving of a monthly stipend to be their friend, basically. Because of? Who I am. Because of who I am. That's the part that drives me nuts. So you have these instructors that are living off of past accomplishments that they haven't translated into a modern value. Yes. We've spoken about that many, many times. Because there's just so much of that. And that happens in MMA. That happens in boxing. That happens anywhere there are human beings that want to stand in front of a group of people and charge money. There's there's always going to be a percentage of people that are doing that. Because at the end of the day... This is not me being down. This is me being practical and real. The reality of it is people want to belong to something and then other people want people to follow them. So you connect the guy who needs attention with the person who needs to belong. There's a financial transaction occurs. They find some happiness in that relationship. Mm -hmm. But what they intended to do on paper was to create a martial engagement that would be uh, effective – but it's not happening because the social side is what's taking precedent. Right. So those are the guys I'm saying. Like, basically, you create a social club instead of a martial arts school. 
don't pretend. Yes. Call, Just, call a spade a spade. But you can't. Yeah. But you can't. Those guys can't call a spade a spade. No, they can't. Because their ego won't allow it, and it's kind of creepy. Yeah. Well, it's what we were talking about the other day. If you, if you take a lot of the stuff that goes on in the martial arts business, in the martial arts circle, and apply it to any other business that's operating in 2018, people would say, you, you guys are really kind of strange. Like, this doesn't fly. Well, that's the beauty of being married and having yeah. someone to bounce it off of. Because you, you, you've, you and I both have the similar experience where our wives are not directly involved in our world the same way. Sure. Your wife, even less than mine. I actually... I act, you met your wife at the gym. I met my wife through, yeah. through, through a strength and conditioning and boxing program that I set up for, for people. But my wife doesn't understand the, the martial arts side of it. Sure. The kickboxing, boxing, MMA stuff, she's really into. She gets it. She likes it. She understands it. The karate side of it, that, that period of my life, she hears my stories and she's like, you're fucking nuts. Like, yeah. What did you do? But, um, yeah, the... We were talking about this the other day, and I think it's a. And I was alluding to it before: is the the denying of your humanity, and that's it, under the guise of it being better, and that's the part that I don't like when someone says to you, and that's what you asked me about, you know, being progressive, what happened in my school, whatever. So the school that I came out of before I went to, to open up my own school, the problem there was everyone was buying into. This this made up philosophy about what they were doing and the belt mattered so much. It was a very belt driven place, but they were effective too. Produced more state champions in the style of com competition that they did, more national champions than most people. They were a powerhouse school for a long time, and they they really rode that success long it they were not as successful when i left that it was at the tail end of it they okay. they actually went out of business rather quickly after i left i don't think they survived more than about a year and a half after i left and it wasn't because of me i'm not saying like sure. they couldn't do it without me what i'm just saying is is that time moved forward they didn't move forward they got caught in that and yeah they couldn't make enough money to validate doing it anymore and shit changed but they're back now though right they are back now, yes. Uh, it's just, and it's the same people, just older and fatter. I'm sorry, it's true. It's true. I can't, I can't lie about it. No. Just, they're fat. Yeah. They're old. So what? But my original instructor, she's still the one. She was, she was always the one. When, when, uh, if you say sensei, it's very hard for me to say the word sensei with without initially thinking of her. Like, mm -hmm. she's just ingrained in my head, the word sensei and her, whatever. But, um, yeah, everybody wanted that rank, so they did what they had to do to get rank, mm -hmm. and which basically was they all had to kind of conform to an idea to get what they wanted out of it. Right. You got your spot. You know, you got to sit at the big kid table if you if you behaved a certain way. Sure. And that wasn't my focus. I wasn't there to be at the big kid table. I would have liked to. It would have been nice, but I didn't care so much about it. I just wanted to be a competitor. I wanted to be better. I wanted to teach my own stuff, whatever. I was not willing to sacrifice my own ideas to get better access to a group of people that it didn't really matter to me at the time, I guess. So it, it, it was a very weird time, and that's why it was one of those ones like, you know what? I need to go and do my own thing because I need the freedom to express myself more honestly. And... I was really young, 
and I couldn't articulate it like I do now. I just knew something was off and I needed to change and I needed to do something different and that different had to be my different, not somebody else's. It wasn't like I wanted to go to another school and go train with anybody else. I wanted to open my own school and I wanted to explore my own my own ideas more fully because I had a lot of them. And that's what I did. So I was 34 when that when I was in that same mindset, and that's actually what brought me to you. Yeah, because you had to get outside of your bubble. Yes, and I didn't. I knew something was wrong. I didn't know what. Yeah. And we met. Well, we met in '02, but we re-met at your Fourth Avenue dojo. Yes. When you came to Spar. When I came to Spar, and I had a great time. I loved it. Hard, hard work, and. Uh, I looked at your school and I was like, you know, these guys are good in a very different way than what I'm used to. Not not worse or better. Just these guys are really good at what they do. And this, and I was thinking of you. I was like, this guy Brian, he really seems to know his stuff. He seems to have a uh, a good business, a thriving business. Mine wasn't thriving at the time. I wanted to. All the answers that I was getting on how to build my school at the time were not working. So I said, well, this guy's out of my circle. Maybe he's got some different ideas. And from what I, um, from what I gather, I said, well, this guy, he looks like he'd be like cool, but like a dick enough to tell me the truth about anything. And I say that as a compliment. You no, know I, 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 I don't. And so that's when I reached out to you. We had coffee that day. We, yep. With uh, he was like what? He was wasn't even two yet. He was young. Yeah, my son. Yeah, my son. My my wife was working. I had my mm-hmm. son. We got together. He was actually rather well behaved, and we were yeah. able to have a nice conversation. Except for that one time when he was screaming in the car, but that's because <laughs> Daddy left for a little bit. Oh yeah. yeah, that was my fault. But yeah, I remember that too. Anyway, uh, but yeah, I, I was searching for something. I didn't know what, so I went outside my circle, and here I am today. Yeah, it it, it it's funny how that works, and. I had to let go of the – I had to let go of a lot of things that I grew up in in martial culture because – and I'm not saying that loyalty is a bad thing. I think loyalty is a good thing, but loyalty has to be earned and respect has to be has to be gained daily. Respect isn't deserved because, again, of this whole past accomplishment nonsense. Yes. Just because someone was a world champ doesn't mean everyone has to kiss their ass today. Like, exactly. You know, if you want to fight in 1985, it doesn't – may not hold up. Mm-hmm. may not hold up. No. And the only – and again, it's not – I'm not diminishing someone's accomplishment in 85, but it's what are you doing? What did you learn from that that still has value today? Mm. There are guys that I know that were fighters in the 60s yeah. that bring a value to the table today. We train very different than they did then. Sure. But their struggle was it's the same struggle, different time period, different information, different arena. And just sharing that in a transparent, confident way helps. We all are in different times, different struggles. And a lot of things that I went through in 2000, in you know, 95 and 86, whatever, those struggles still have value today. Sure, they do. But they just have to be translated in a way that makes sense today. Right. I'm not going to tell you how to work your rotary phone better. You know, I, I've no. got to use the tools and the things I've got, 
but they can be influenced by my experience. Yeah, and it's again back in 1985, they were working with the best information they had at the time. Yes, and if it was if it wasn't for everything that came up to this point, I mean, I would never. I have no regrets. I have absolutely no regrets. Neither do I. If there's anything in my life that I say I wish I wouldn't have done, it, I might not be where I am today. Agreed. That's you know. exactly this. I have the same viewpoint of it, and, and it's it's the same one where I have I appreciate my enemies as much as I do my friends because it's it's both it's the combination of both that have created the environment that allowed me to challenge myself in sure. life and figure it all out. We are who we are because of. Are good and bad, all of it. Yeah, not just the good. Yep. Uh, it was funny. I, I I heard something once. I don't remember who said it right now, but I heard something once, and it was, you can't. What was it? If you're gonna push the blame, you've got to give away the credit too. So you can't take your enemies and blame them from all your problems, and right. then only accept responsibility for the good stuff. Because if yeah. you're gonna blame people for your problems. Well, then you better give them credit for the good stuff. Mm -hmm. You have to accept all of it. All or nothing. All of it, yeah. So that, that, that's it's a powerful thing you got to learn in time. Yeah, indeed. But it's the maturation process of it all. It's funny. I find that you said to that everyone's doing the best they can. I think the downfall for – forget about martial arts instructors as people in general becomes that – when you do the best you can with the information that's available, mm -hmm. as long as you maintain that, you're fine. I find that people run into a space where they stop bringing in new information, and then the struggle is not to stay current. The struggle is to freeze that period in time. And fight the change. And fight change. And it's just you get tired. Change is hard. Change requires work. Change requires an open mind. After a while, I feel like... a a lot of people they get closed-minded to stuff and they don't want to change anymore they feel that they they paid their dues so they've earned it well you don't earn you didn't earn it before you earn it every day and every i don't day. i don't care if you're 20 30 40 50 60 whatever you're you earn it every day yeah you have to earn your spot and and keep it and I, I just have to throw out there that there's someone lifting weights in the background yeah. and the sound's really making me laugh because if we just let this person like grunt and groan in the background, people might get uh, – they might not realize where we are. So we are in a gym. We're in a gym. And someone is lifting the light, weights. The lights are on. The lights are on. Everybody has their clothes on. I, you just took the words out of my mouth. <laughs> We're fully clothed right now. That's really funny. But, yeah, I, I mean, it's like parents. I don't think parents intentionally fuck their kids up. I think they, they do the best they can. And I think – Martial arts instructors, and for the most part, do the best they can with the information they've got. But it, you do get fatigued over time. Some people do. I, I hope I never do. I think I did. I think I got over it. I think I found a different energy in, in being open-minded about it. I, I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm riding a wave of progression in, in, in what I do right now. Unlike anything I think I've ever done before. And that started for you probably in the past, what, four years now? The last year of my life last has been year. a whirlwind. Because I had a huge epiphany of things about four years ago. and then, But a year ago, things got weird. You were done. I was, mentally, you yeah, were done. Yeah, I was done. It wasn't mentally I wasn't done. Mentally I was done with this. Mm. I was done with running a – I was 
I was one step away you were, you were from not teaching anymore yeah. martial arts mm-hmm. on a public scale. I was just going to focus on like Carl and some of the athletes I had and move on from the dojo business in a lot of ways. Sure. But was it the Labatter fight that No, no, no. That was that No, I'm saying what what when what after what fight of Carl's or what was it that that spark came back or that it wasn't even Carl. No. It wasn't Carl. It was uh I know this groaning and groaning cuz now that I pointed it out now I can't stop hearing it. I wish I could unhear it. I wish I could unhear it. I can't tell him to stop working though. That would be that would be bad. No. This is terrible. This yeah, is terrible. It's, but, get, it's getting okay. weird. <laughs> it's getting weird. But the the thing that so honestly, it's weird. <laughs> so ridiculous. <laughs> oh shit. Ruined by deadlift. Okay, so I got to a point when you know when you're in a bad space. Weird shit happens. Yeah. When you're not in the right headspace, just things don't get right. And, and you know, I was you know I've been there too. Yeah. I was in a space where I I was collecting bad people. It mm. was not bad people, that was a wrong word. I was just collecting people that were not in tune with what I was trying to achieve. And that cycle went on for about a year and a half and the composition of the community that I was training was really weird. It just was not in line with what I was trying to achieve. Mm. My attention was not appropriate for what I was looking to do. It was just I was I was fucking up. Yeah. I was just fucking up. I was I was here. I was putting in the time. Sure. But my focus was off. There was just something wrong, and I my my head wasn't right, and I was just collecting a lot of debris. And then I stepped back a little bit. Carl taught my classes primarily. I was teaching like one hour a week. It was crazy. I did that for about four months. Yeah. Got involved in some other stuff. and it was weird. The I got more introspective about my process. I started communicating differently about my process. I started attracting a different clientele. And then all of a sudden, I just had two or three people that were consistently showing up that I really enjoyed training. Yeah. I was just like, wow, these guys really get it. And it was more people like myself. It was 40-something-year-old guys that were coming here for a purpose. They didn't want to. They didn't want to be UFC champs. They just wanted to be better people. Yeah. And I really enjoyed that. And that group just started to grow. And then it just started to snowball. And then Carl came back out of being hurt, and he came back better. And he spent a lot of time looking at his life and sure. figuring out what he wanted. And it was, we didn't speak about it, but you could see a difference in both of us in yeah. how we were approaching it because. It's one of those ones when you're standing and you're looking at the abyss, you know, you're really just, you're and looking you, at yourself. And, and you were on that ledge. And we were both kind of on the ledge. He physically was too damaged to do his sport for a while, and I was mentally just in the wrong spot. And then just things started to change, and I didn't fight it. I went with it. And then, yeah, it just started to get better and better and better. And, yeah, yeah I'm in a completely different place. I'm in a great place. I'm really comfortable. I had a student come in. Guy signed up. Guy came in. He was asking me questions and whatever. And you know me. I'm a no bullshitter. I just tell like how I just tell like it is. What the fuck am I going to do? I'm not. My sales pitch is honesty. Simple as that. Sure. I'm pretty much like, yeah, this place is not for everybody. It's cool. It's what we do. It's how we do it. You like that? And he was like, yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Okay. He's like, so ask Cus, like, well, why do you do it, whatever? And I'm like, because I like doing what I do. Like, yeah. this is what I do. And it was funny. He goes to me, God, I don't know if I've met anybody that's so chill about this. He's like, You're, you must be in just a really good place. And I didn't even think I was in a good place. I wasn't thinking of defining where I was. This guy was a nook, the guy you met. Okay. He said, man, you're, you're just in a really good place here. And I'm like, yeah, you know, I am. Yeah, I, I am. <laughs> I'm in a really good place. Wow. I didn't even notice. I'm, I'm good. Okay. So, do you want to join? And he was yeah. like, yeah, I do. And I was like, okay, cool. Got class. You want to try? He was like, yeah. And signed up. It was a done deal. But just in that little communication, it was really funny. I just recognized the fact that, wow, I was out. Now I'm fully in and I'm good. Okay, here we go. And it seems like you're attracting a lot of like-minded people in here. I'm attracting like-minded people for sure. And I think it just goes down to the communication about how I do what I do. Yeah. You see... What I, I, I have a very particular I have a particular language in which I speak about what I do. Right. Which brings a specific person. If you want a specific result, you take a specific action. Right. I don't just generally do anything. So Because you went deep with your craft. Yeah. You know? But I figure my shit out. Yeah, and I'm I'm actually in the process of doing that as you know. And that's been the coolest part, is that I don't think I don't think you're a I don't think you're ever really a lost human being. I just think you are going through a lot of the transitions that I had to go through in terms of understanding the, the craft of coaching, teaching, whatever, to, yes. a, to a personal human level. Yes. And, and, and that's one of the things we both go through. Because, again, coming up through this martial culture that we, come, we came from where you, you fall into the trap of thinking you're being traditional just because you're doing it the way you were shown even though it may be shitty yeah you can't do the same shitty thing no <laughs> you have to you have to do the successful thing if you actually want to build a business yeah. and this is and, god this fucking grunting groaning is <laughs> killing me over here but yeah the uh <laughs> the it's a business it is one thing i'm gonna throw out i've been talking way too much i gotta I'll give you some space here oh, but, that's cool. but one thing that drives me fucking crazy in this industry is the family concept because yes i i came up with oh we're a family if i stopped paying you i wouldn't be part of your family anymore if i stop i don't have a financial relationship with anybody in my family yes my family is my family no matter what they're my family yes and in a business if you stop paying you no longer get a service right unless unless your barter is something else. If again, it's that that mutually beneficial trade. If I want something from you, I either have to pay for it or I have to do something, and then you have to give me that in exchange. Sure. That's the relationship. I don't care if it's martial arts, if it's selling clothes, or if it's selling widgets. I don't give a shit what it is. We're all selling something. Yep. It's all a big trade. As an as an instructor, we're selling our understanding of what it is that we know. Right. And we have to sell that to our students so that they buy it. And that's and they all it is. do it. That's it. So that's it's a transactional-based relationship. And they're getting us to buy what they're doing. They take what we give them, and then they sell it back to us for the approval that we're giving them. It's all fucking trade. Yeah, yeah. I give you something, and you want to give it back to me, and I say good, whatever. Uh, you know. Oh, my God. This grunting again. This 
this episode. Epi- this, this is episode can nine. He no, he can't. He can't. This is episode nine, the kind of gay grunt episode. He's definitely squatting. He's definitely yeah. squatting. You 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 know he's squatting. Is it Carl? No, it's not Carl. Carl left a while ago. Yeah. Carl's not feeling good today. But, yeah, we're all selling each other. We're selling ideas. We're actually selling whatever. You know, it's it's all it's all a trade. It it's is. a constant trade. And if you don't recognize that, uh, respect that, and appreciate that, the relationship is not real. Right. It's not real. And there's, there's no foundation to it that's understandable if it's this ambiguous weird thing that can morph and that's where i had problems with the traditional route the the pseudo traditional bullshit route is that what you needed to stay apart to stay relevant in the community would morph depending upon what the leader wanted yeah it wasn't a clearly defined trade no it wasn't and that is denying us our humanity we need to know we need clarity of why we're a part of the group yes and that's the thing if <clears throat> if it's for rank be clear about it if it's for effectiveness be clear about it and then provide that yeah you know that's that's where this stuff gets really murky and weird i i see jujitsu schools do it i see all the time you know it's not my jujitsu school it's my family <clears throat> bullshit it's your it's the business you're a member of. Yep. It's not fucking family. I have students. I go home to my family. That's all yeah. it is. And you could be close to these people. Yeah, I like them all very much, and I, I look after them as best I can, and I you know keep tabs on them, you know, with their parents, see how they're doing in life, because just I, I care as a human being, and that's okay. But if you can't pay your rent, if you can't pay your utilities, you can't teach these people. Nope. So this is the mutually beneficial trade. Right. I provide something of a value. I provide a service that has a value for you. You provide money in return so that I can continue to do what I do. And if you need some help and if you want to have a conversation and grab a cup of coffee, I know guys right now, I know there are a couple people now, if I needed them to show up with a baseball bat and duct tape, they probably would. But, yeah. <laughs> you know, that gets built over time. Yes. But – the whole thing is, again, it's that beneficial trade. If you do something for people, they will then provide something in return, and it goes both ways. And we always have to remember that and to grow our business, to stay successful, to provide a value for them, to provide a value for us. And the one thing, too, with being married, it's a grounding thing because if I come home and I don't have anything to show for the amount of time that I spend here – my 22-week pregnant wife with our second child is just not accepting of it. No, she's not. So not only do you need to do what I'm asking you to do for your benefit, you have to give me something in return so my wife doesn't kick my ass. Exactly. <laughs> and you know what, too? Once that transaction is over, nobody owes anybody anything. Nope. Nothing whatsoever at all. And I and, and something I laugh at, too, is I know a lot of people that are afraid of people leaving and taking their stuff. At what We're point safe. do we think we're so fucking special that nobody else in the world knows what we know? Yeah, nobody owns any anything. But but nobody – there's nothing exclusive about any of us. And that's no. the thing. I don't give a shit if you're Henzo Gracie, Mike McIntosh, Brian Wright, yeah. Greg Jackson. And I'm not throwing us all into the same basket saying that we're all as experienced or whatever. But there's not one thing one instructor in this planet is doing – that makes that there's no secrets there's no magic to this especially with youtube these days and it's not even that 
But it's not even YouTube. It's just that there's no magic. No. There's no fucking magic. That's what I'm. That's what I guess goes back to what we originally started talking about. There is no magic. There is no mysticism. There is no chi, chi and all this shit. It, it, maybe there is chi, but there's not chi that's going to make me win a goddamn fight. Nope. Nope. There's chi no. is not going to make me the heavyweight champion of the UFC. It's not going to save me if a guy pulls a gun on me. It's not going to make a knife that someone stuck in my chest not affect me you know yeah. it's it's stop like this is effective combat we're talking about indeed and instruction is not i so take a henzo henzo knows his shit his style is rock solid right. but what makes him henzo is the community of people that he built around his name he built a really effective group of people around what he does. Mm -hmm. You are building an effective group of people around what you do. I'm doing this same. Greg Jackson did it. It's not some magic that we're providing. It's the community that we're developing because we're identifying our value to a very specific niche in the market. Yes. That's the magic. Yeah. The magic is, is connection. It's humanity. It's relationships. It's not we kick and punch different. Somebody else kicks and punches the way I do. There's somebody better technically than me. Of course. But I, I, but depending upon who we match up against, well, you know, I might be able. Somebody could be a better instructor, but I build, I inspire more confidence in my athletes, maybe, or something. Yeah. So it's just what I do is effective because of whatever. So that's the thing. Like when you look at the magic of what we do, it's relationships, yeah. and the cool part about having you as a friend is we come from two completely different martial arts schools. We got over our bullshit. We actually talk a lot about getting over our bullshit yeah. and we're, we're figuring out on our own how to go forward within the, the, the specific niche that we both operate. We yeah. are in different worlds. We operate completely different worlds but it's funny. It's the same conversation. It's just about so different. It's just different niches. Yeah. And it doesn't matter. My other business influences this. Every business I've ever been involved in, it's the same thing. But again, because of that weird shit that they put in my head when I was little, I used to think martial arts were different. But it's not. It's, Everything's the fucking same. Yeah. It's all the same. It's at the end of the day for me. I, I really enjoy doing it. Um, I try to keep everything as grounded as possible, and that's one of the things that one of the main reasons why I don't wear a uniform anymore was it was I was I was at a point in my career where I was fed up with that mysticism and everything. Did that uniform make you any better or worse? Of course, it, it didn't. It didn't make me either better or worse. It didn't do anything. It's a marketing tactic at that point. Right, and. Um, I started not. I, I wanted my students. That's why I'm not. I'm not disrespecting anyone that wears a uniform. If you yeah. want to wear a uniform, wear a uniform. But it doesn't make you better or worse. No, it's just it part of what you do. Because there's and and we've had this conversation too. It kind of sounds like we're shitting on a lot of martial arts in the industry, but there are people out there that want to train in uniforms and spin Ninja Turtle weapons. And if there's someone out there that can provide that value and they enjoy it and that's what they do i know you don't care if they want to do that if that makes you I happy i don't give a shit i don't care i i don't care anymore and i used to, i used to care yep i used to care all oh, those guys and that um you still do occasionally yeah i know <laughs> i'm trying man 
it's a, it's Shit, a process. Man. Come on, I do too. I'm it's not. I, I, I'm not. I'm not above you. I'm. I'm as human as you are. And there are certain things, certain people that do that. That still drives me fucking crazy. And whatever. It's just you know we all got our own particular you know pet peeves about things. And yeah, and that's and part of being human, man. I know. I know. It's part of being and human. Around that time, also is when someone would come into my door. What kind of martial arts do you do? Oh, we do this. It's kind of a little bit of everything. I was a little bit of everything to a little bit of everybody. I was not really defining what I did. I just said I did martial arts. Is I hate to interrupt. Oh, man, I've been running my mouth so bad. I don't care. It's cool. But one one thing on that too. When we first started talking, yes, you had a lot of things that you talked about that you didn't even know the meaning of that yes. you just used because you were taught to use it. Yes. When, I, when we first had our conversation, I thought we were going to have a conversation about marketing and growing my business. By the end of that conversation, I was like, I got a lot of questions about myself I need to answer. Yeah. A lot. Yeah. And it's, it, it's funny. I'm obviously very glad to have had the conversation. And it was a long process, and I'm still in the process. But, you know, like the guy with the grunting, like you almost wish that you couldn't – that you can unheal what you just heard. <laughs> Only once or twice in the very beginning when I was learning about who I was and learning about who you were and, and, and following your advice, once or twice I was like, man, I wish I could kind of like go back in time for just a second and not, not when I was having these questions. Of course. Man. You know, I wish I can just unhear it for a little bit. But now that I know, now that I know that I need to ask these questions, like I have a responsibility you to think, learn. You think I don't go through that? Yeah. I go through the same shit. I'm like, yeah, why man. did I have to ask myself that question? I'm really not comfortable with the answer right yeah. now. And oh, or even worse, when you do figure out the answer and then you realize you're like physically in the, you're like entrenched in certain things that mm-hmm. you physically have to do. And now you don't want to do it because you don't understand the value of it anymore. Yeah. It, it changes. It changes. Yeah. I, I The result of that conversation was very different at the end than what I came in yeah. to, to, to what I was thinking. And at the time when I was, I mean, here's the thing too. We were having that conversation. My rent was coming due that month. And then the yeah. month after, I was like a year and a half into a business already. So it wasn't like, well, I'm going to take a couple of months and, and kind of figure stuff out. It's like, no, I got to be at the dojo tomorrow to teach class. Yep. And it's like, okay, now I don't know who I am. And now I have all these questions. Now I have to go teach and I don't have any answers for them. <laughs> not, well, for, not for the students, but I don't have any answers yet. And But I made it through. It was fine. Um I just lost my train of thought. Well, but, but no, but you, you have to stand in front of your students. The hardest part about change when you come to that point, when you've been when you've been doing something for a long time and you haven't been doing it deeply, mm-hmm. you've only been doing parts of it deeply. When mm-hmm. you've been doing the physical actions, I'm not even gonna say deeply. When you've been doing the physical actions hard, yeah, but you haven't been thinking or really getting to understand. Yeah, there wasn't much why going on. Yes. When you're not understanding the why, you're you're going through the motions in a lot of ways, and you're you're as a leader, you're emulating instead of actually leading. You're yes. you're passing on things instead of actually teaching. I didn't open my first dojo when I first opened. I didn't open my dojo. I opened someone else's dojo. Yes, and I tried to be absolutely. somebody else. Absolutely, I, I fucking know. did that shit too, man. But, and you know what? Are you kidding me? I didn't know any better. I don't. I don't regret that. It's I used to teach in Japanese because I thought uh, it made us more authentic. And then after a while, I realized it just it doesn't matter 
how I say it. I could say it in in French. It doesn't matter. What it doesn't matter. There was somebody. It wasn't a conversation you and I were having. I know we've had similar conversations like that, but I was hearing a story from somebody that a white dude. I don't even know his name. I don't even need to know his name. Not not only was a white dude trying to teach a class in Japanese, but he was he was speaking broken Japanese, like grunts and yep. stuff. And yeah, but you're taking on the affect of the person that you aspire to be. Yes. But again, you're doing the best you can with the information you've got, mm-hmm. and we are we are very malleable as human beings. And when we do come in contact with things that we we respect a lot or or aspire to have the same things as, you know, I, do you ever? I mean, I know Brazilian jiu-jitsu guys that speak with a Portuguese accent. I'm like, you're a white dude from North Jersey. Yeah. Like, what are you doing? Yeah. I know a Puerto Rican guy whose Puerto Rican accent turned Portuguese because he went from doing judo to jiu-jitsu. And I'm like, my God, your accent changed. You haven't even been to Brazil. Mm-hmm. You're just trying to be more authentically Brazilian because you do Brazilian jiu-jitsu? Like, it's strange. This happens. No, I think, no, no. That story I was telling you was wrong. It was the guy who was speaking English in a Japanese accent. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. But, again, you can't blame him if he doesn't know any better. I had a friend who lived in Japan mm-hmm. on and off for a decade and his Japanese and English actually got confused because he literally lived there and spoke it. And that I completely understood, sure. but there are other people that didn't even know Japanese. They just knew how to count and they knew the techniques mm-hmm. and they tried to be more Japanese than right. anyone else. And that's, again, that's, that's this weird subculture strangeness that happens in this industry, but it happens in everything. Sure. I don't care. You, you know, look at CrossFitters. Somebody wears their socks high, and literally every yeah. fucking person in the gym's wearing high socks. Mm-hmm. You know, you get a guy who wears a particular hat in, in in whatever. Somebody famous does something, and then people start doing. It. I mean, look at the challenges that one of the, one of the Kardashians like made her lips get bigger and then kids are ending up in the hospital because they're trying to copy what she did. Sure. I mean, it doesn't matter. And We're human. It's always going to happen. It's always going to happen. It doesn't matter what we do. And that's the human part. And that's the part where you got to realize as a martial arts instructor, you're no different. No. You're still fucking human. Still human. You're still running into the same traps, different fucking arena. You know, yeah. instead of going to Comic-Con, you go to karate tournaments. Right. You know, that it just it, it instead of going to Giants games and wearing a giant jersey, you go and you know, you go watch the UFC every time it comes on. It's just it's different. It's the yeah. same but different. Whatever. I, I think on the floor, whether it's adult students or kids students or who you teach in doesn't really matter. But I think it's important for them to view you not as some mystic girl, but hey, I'm I'm a guy too that, you know, has fears and troubles with discipline or doubts in my regular life. I'm going through this. I'm not going through it like you're human. on a mountain. I'm human. You're human. I'm human just like you. Like what you're going through, I get it. I have had I had a lot of people that I trained with or tried to teach me that try, did everything they could to hide their humanity because they felt that any weakness that they had chipped away at what we were supposed to see them as them as a perfect human. Yeah. Yeah. But then the best instructors I had were the most human people I've ever known. Yeah. The ones that had the ability to say to me, I been there. Yeah. The ones that said, Oh, I was never there. I was special. Fuck you. Yeah. Bullshit. You're lying. Yeah. You're, you're, you're totally full of shit. Mm -hmm. You're trying to tell me that I'll never be you so that I allow you to stand above me forever. Right. Fuck you. 
The only way you can stand above me as you get older is by allowing me to surpass you. That's my job as an instructor, to be able to stand in front of a room of people over time. In the beginning, it's because you can kick all their asses. Right. And then over time, it's because you can teach them to just do what you do. Right. You know, it's it's – you, it's the value that allows you to stand up front. It's, all it's about not and, and fear and respect tied into some color system. Right. Fuck that. And that's, I mean, that's the stage right now that you're at in, in your career. You used to have to do for yourself, yourself. Like you had to be able to smash every person in because that was the point of your career that yeah. you were. Now, you still have to do. You just have to do it in a way and communicate in a way that someone else who is your age is was your age now today to do that for themselves and the insecurity time the worst is when you start to get to that point where you you can't do it the same i'm still young i could still fight yeah there's not too many people that i would have any problem no like scrapping with no but i wouldn't fight you without a knife (laughs) but the thing about it is that there is an insecurity point Mm -hmm. where if anyone even questions anything you ever did in the past Ah. you're you know you're what are you what are you questioning me for you know but now i really don't care if you don't if you question that's fine if you don't if you question okay if you don't accept my answer okay too yeah where before what what you want to go right now like do i have to like show you well i don't i don't feel a need to do it anymore you're at peace with yourself yeah i'm really just i'm just real comfortable with it all and if you don't believe that's fine but I also think my value – I believe in my value differently yes, now. Do. I don't believe I have to – I don't believe there's a value in me just – I used to I used to find value in being the hammer. Sure. I have to be the hammer sometimes, but I don't find value in primarily being the hammer. No. I, You're I, creating I, hammers. I, uh, yeah. I create hammers and that's the one too. When, when I was – it was when I had to be the hammer – I was the only real hammer. Now I feel that I'm creating better people that actually get it. They actually believe and they stand up for it out of their own free will instead of me demanding that they stand up for it. And that's a very – that's an authentic relationship. And that's what goes back to the whole don't give me this shit about family and all that. If you really are family, that bond gets developed without having to brainwash people into thinking they're part of a family that they're financially tied to, whatever. The family thing, like the bond beyond financial transaction comes in time, comes in proving yourself, comes in constantly providing value and also having the confidence to let people come and go. Yes. Anyone and, – and this is the truth. Carl's the only one that hasn't left and come back. Mm-hmm. But the majority of people that I would consider that pseudo family from mm-hmm. my 20 years of doing this yeah. all left me poorly and all came back in a different headspace. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They all left, yeah. went somewhere else or stopped and then came back. And then we trained differently, respected each other differently, understood what we did differently, and defined our relationship more clearly. Yeah. That's truth. That's just the way it's been. It's crazy how that that how that's worked. Well, it's been a great process since I waking up from what I call the dark ages in my in my career. It's it's been hard really taking that focused mirror to yourself. And I think one of the one of the things that I like 
that, that, that you told me was, it's okay to be you. Actually, you owe it to yourself to be you. <laughs> There's no downside to being yourself. There's no downside to being yourself. It's cool. It's like really cool. To who the fuck you are. <laughs> yeah. And, but at the second stage of that is now that you're okay with it, run with it. Well, what are you going to do with it now? Right. I mean, it's... And are you comfortable with it? Do you even like who you are? I do. Well, that's the most important part. I'm do you know how many people, when you say to them, you know, figure out your stuff, they figure out who they are and they're not happy with who they are? Sure. It's like, oh, shit, I let this happen? Right. I mean, I was, for a while, as an instructor, I was, I never really took that mirror to myself. And when I woke up, at, at first, I did not like what I saw. Well, because you weren't you. You were somebody, you were attempting to be somebody else. Yes. But, right. And, um... But, but you were trained to be somebody else. I was trained to be somebody else. You were told you had to be somebody else. Exactly. Like we all have been. Right. Like our parents tried to do to us. Mm -hmm. Like everybody in every other facet of our life, and I'm not shitting on my parents by saying that, yeah. everyone that's in a power position around us has said to us, we care about you. We want you mm -hmm. to be successful. This is the success we know. Yeah. So we think it could work for you too. That's basically the problem ends yeah. up happening. There's the lack of – it's not the go find yourself and make yourself a success. It's I don't want you to go through the pain of finding success. So just do what we did and you'll be okay. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not – again, that's why I'm saying there's no ill will towards the people that fucked up. No. no. Like I don't hate people for doing the shit we're talking about. Mm -hmm. I don't shit on people for any of it. It's human. Yeah. It's human. Just part of the process. As I'm a parent now, like I look at my son, and I ha I have to fight with every ounce of energy I have to not be that micromanaging parent that mm -hmm. that does everything he can to make sure my son never feels pain and is going to be okay. I, I I don't have kids, so I but I can I can understand that. I can empathize. <laughs> I can empathize. I can definitely empathize. And you've changed, I can tell, as you know, as a father. Like, I know you want to eventually get uh, your son into to get some training in. Yeah. He's a little young right now, yeah. four years old. So we take we take our kids at the youngest is age six. So you can bring him in when he's like nine or ten. And <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But like, you would like to see well, you want to see him train because he wants to. He wants to give it a try. Yeah. But you don't care if he does it. I really don't give a shit. But that wasn't the, always the case. I remember when I, for one of the first times I saw when he was a really little boy, and I was, I was, it was the first time I met him. I was like, so is he gonna train one day? He's like, yep. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, like, I named the he, fucking school after yeah. him. And I was like, is he gonna have a choice? And you were like, nope. But yeah. That was different. You, you, you I was new. I was new. Yeah. You, were, you were like a, you were a, a nine-month-old father. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's funny too, raising a child and having to interact and the more communicative they get the more they develop and the more things you have to deal with the more you look at things for yourself and that's why i'm saying like you know i look at my parents and I'm, again they, i think they did the best they could with the information they had available and the tools they had available and nobody intentionally does anything i don't know a human being alive that's parents haven't done something that, that no parent in the world has done everything right there's a it's it's part again it's it's just part of the part human of it condition. Part of a lot of stuff wrong. Yeah, and and the uh, see, I think that I think the 
making mistakes part or doing things that don't work out the way you intended part. That's the best part. Well, that's the evolution aspect of it. So it's dealing with the fuck ups well, that, that it's, do it. It's dealing with it. It's not yeah. just making the mistakes. Yeah. It's, it's what you do afterwards. I don't know. Somebody said it. I don't know. If you said it or somebody else said it, somebody said uh, you make a mistake once, it was an accident. You make a mistake twice, it's a choice. That's a great quote. We'll say I said it. Yeah. yeah, yeah I told I'll, you that you last Tuesday. That. Yeah, <laughs> that, was, that was from you. I'll give you that one. But, yeah, like, I, I, again, in all of this stuff, you can't hold yourself over the fire because of things you did due to a lack of information. I, I think the ultimate judgment constantly is – as new information becomes available or presents itself and you and your eyes open to the different opportunities, it's what you do with them that defines everything. Exactly. And that's, you know, you can't blame, you can't blame past instructors for things that they've done. You can't blame parents for things that they've done or said. You can't blame anybody if you want to call yourself an adult. Once you're an adult, that's that you're not really an adult until you accept 100% responsibility for everything. Because it all led you to the point where you are right well, now. Well, but no, but you have to accept respons- 100% responsibility for everything going on in your life at this moment. You have to understand that the choices you make are the choices you are making. Yes. You have to get over the idea of, I don't have the freedom to choose. Mm-hmm. We all have the freedom to choose. Yeah, choice. Choice is huge. My biggest it complaint all comes down to choice. My biggest complaint, and I and the martial culture falls right into it. When we all when we start defining things, it becomes a separating point. Mm-hmm. When you start saying I am this, well, that means you're no longer part of that. Mm-hmm. Well, I can do this. Well, that means you can't do that. Mm-hmm. Well, I I think. I, uh, there's there's the, the, the person that trying to be a friend to everyone is really a friend to no one. I think you have to have principles. I think you have to stand for things. But I think defining yourself – so it's like liberal or conservative. Mm-hmm. Okay, so if you're on the right, the left hates you. If on your left, on the left, the right hates you. And if you're in the middle, kind of everybody hates you. you know? So you do have to pick and choose in a lot of ways who you are. But the just clearly like – Holding on to the brand is a problem for me. That yeah. uh, I mean, I look. Don't get me wrong. I saw. Well, I'll take flack for this one, and I don't give a shit. Go for it. So the women's march. Mm-hmm. I'm really happy to see people that feel that maybe they were in a bad position are rallying behind the idea that it can be better. Sure. But the whole point of it is. If one person in this world has risen, if somebody in this world like you has done something great, that means the opportunity is there. So when I see people rallying behind these ideas, in a lot of ways, it's a pity party more than it is an expression of strength. It's not strength to circle the wagons and say, we've been held down. No, you held yourself down. The opportunity's always been there. Yeah. I mean, my mom's a really successful business person. My mom, she's in her 60s. My mom came up in a time where women really were not promoted to be successful, independent entrepreneurs. No. She started her own business in 1986. 
she went to the bank and got money from men. There were no women in the bank. Right. There, she was the only woman in the room in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And I, and me as a child, people used to talk about feminism and different stuff. And I always never understood it. I was like, my mom's not a feminist. She's just good at what she does. And she doesn't take shit from anybody. And she just says, this is what I want. And I'm going to make sure it happens. Yeah. And she does what she has to do. And when yeah. I say that, like she didn't sleep with the boss. To no. get her way to the top. No, she said, "Fuck you. I don't. I don't. I don't care. Right. Like you can't define me as a woman in this scenario. I can make money, so you're gonna let me borrow money because I'm gonna make more money with that money, and then I'll pay you back. And you do that once, and then you're in the cycle, and then no one turns you down for money ever again. She paid her bills on time. So sure. people. So in retail, you buy your season in advance. Mm-hmm. So you buy your season, and then you sell it. So you buy it. It. it and then you sell it for double what you you, right. you paid for it, whatever. So in the first season, she had to borrow money from her dad. She borrowed money from her dad. She bought the goods and she paid them back. Yeah. And then she went. And then he and then never, used that money. And to, then and then, but he didn't have a problem letting her borrow money ever again because she always paid it back. Sure. She borrowed money from the bank, and the bank said, "You know what? You always pay it back. So here's a line of credit. You can always borrow money from us because you always pay it back." It was just doing the right thing. Yeah. It wasn't. I'm a woman. Hear me roar. It was. Well, I'm going to do the right thing, and I'm going to make money for everyone, so I'm going to be okay. And that's – I don't care the color of your skin, your sexual preference. I don't care about any of it. If you want to be it, go be it. Stop coming up with this excuse. I can't do it because I'm uh, subscribing to a definition. Like cut it out. Yeah. Your definition is holding you down. Just be fucking human. Be a person and then make choices for yourself. Understand what you want and then work towards it. I think most people actually are looking for ways to accept mediocrity and failure and that's why we give ourselves these definitions because there has to be a reason why I'm not where I dream I could be and it can't be my fault. It's got to be somebody else's fault. It's systemized, whatever, but it's not because, I mean, we had a black president. Yeah. But we're talking still about this like systematic racism. Then how the hell do we have a black president? We talk about institutional sexism and all this kind of stuff. We had a woman who was almost president too. Sure. She was one beat she was away. She was close. But she talked so much about what I just said that I think it cost her because she defined herself so clearly. Instead of saying, I'm going to be the best president – she said, I'm going to be the first woman president. And then she defined it in this value that I don't think really was valuable yeah. to a lot of the people. And I think that happens not just in politics. It happens everywhere. I mean, we have – we give the power up. Yeah. No one – no – people people have a gun put to their head. People get forced into situations. But people present you with – with choices but you ultimately make that choice yeah it gets back to yes everything is a choice so if you really want to be free and if you really want to be great you have to stop limiting yourself with definitions and you have to make choices that are going to map towards that goal you set for yourself but how many people do you know that just don't have goals don't have any goals at all don't have real goals like having enough like you know being able to go out to dinner on friday night's not a goal like a goal is i want to have I want to live here. I want to drive this. I want to marry that. I want to do this. I want to go there. Like something. I want to build. I want to build a life. And this is the life I want to build. I don't know that many people that operate that way, but the ones I know 
that yeah, do I don't, I don't are my successful friends. Yeah. It's not like, oh, shit, I just was successful one day. <laughs> Out of the blue, I made a lot of money. It was yeah. like, no, I've been killing myself for 20 years. And, yes, the success I've gotten is because I just never stopped driving sure. forward towards what I knew I always wanted. And I have a vision for what I want my life to be. And you know what? It is. And I'm really happy about that. I couldn't be, I couldn't be happier with the life you, that my wife and I have in our house and where we live and how we live. And – We've talked about this a lot. Nobody can define your success for you. No. And that goes back to the same thing too where when you open up a martial arts school and you do it in the tradition of somebody else, they do define for you what your success should be. Yeah. A certain amount of students that bow, sing, and clap a certain way mm -hmm. and you have a this, that, and the other thing and you're like, okay, I'm good. Yeah. And then you realize – and then when – it's lacking. It's not enough. Then you start to realize that, oh, wait a minute. This isn't what I wanted. It's what they wanted. Yeah. And you can't hate your instructor. I do not. You have to just realize that you made a decision to not be yourself. You made a decision to be somebody else. Yeah. And then you have to reclaim that and then move forward. Like I said, mentally, I'm in a great spot. And I'm still moving. You and, and I are still going to be moving forward. Just the way I think that we're wired. That We are so polar opposites in wiring too like you're very comfortable like your life is built around a completely different methodology of living than mine right you know the reason why we get along is because it works for me so you're happy for me for it it yes. works for you and i'm happy for you for it i don't say you should want more no and you don't tell me i should want less no i was just thinking but like i just say you need to be happy yeah. Are you happy? Yeah. Yes, I am. Good. I'm happy for you. Like, I could never... I've been to your house. You've been to mine. Yep. Two completely different dwellings. Totally different worlds. We are in a one-bedroom, 650-square-foot condo. Yeah. And it's exactly the way we want to live, and we love it. Yep. You would hate it in there, but you're happy for me because I like it. We could never live in your house. It's way too big. But I'll ask you, are you happy with your house? Yeah, I like my house. Then I'm ha then I like your house. <laughs> yeah, no. I like your house because you like your yeah. house. And that's that's the point. But it, it's my life. Yeah, it's your life. Yeah. It's our all of us. I say this a lot in uh, the literature I put out I uh, when I, my Instagram posts in particular. We're working as a group towards individual goals. Yes. Absolutely. I respect everybody's individuality, mm -hmm. but I recognize there are certain things we there are certain things that success demands, mm. and that's what we focus on. We focus on the continuity, the, the things that we all will benefit from doing, the things right. that we do together to, to, to move forward. And you know, uh, there's, there's a, a Zen proverb that says, once you know how to do one thing well, you now know how to do everything well. Mm -hmm. And that's always stuck with me. And – I always, no matter what I do, I bring everything back to a martial arts philosophy. It is the, the process in which I discovered my best things on the mat. It's the same process off the mat. It's just, again, a different arena. Sure. There's, getting ready for a fight is basically everything I do. The timelines are different. For a fight, you tend to – you need about six weeks to get yourself in shape. But you go through the conditioning phase where you get yourself right. in a better physical condition and then you hone your technique. But you're really studying your opponent. You're making yourself the best. Then you actually – have the event and you go and you do your thing and then afterwards you analyze it and then you go back into camp and you do the process over again and hopefully you're better for it. That can happen in 
an hour, a day, a week, a month, a year. It doesn't matter. In business, it's the same thing. There's a, there's a period where I make sure I'm prepared for what I have to do. And then I do my homework on what I need to do. And then I really start doing it. And I get myself ready for game day, which is achieving that particular goal. And then I either hit it or I don't hit it. And then there's an analytical phase. And then I come back and I do it again. And it's camp after camp after camp after camp over and over and over. And the process length is different depending upon the project. I mean, it's how I am as a dad. It's everything. I get up in the morning, I sleep so that I'm got my energy and then I get up and I fight my fight and it's not really a fight. It's just I go through the process and then I analyze how it went and then I get up tomorrow and I do it again. That's the same process I go through every class I teach every day. Well, it's what you do when you when you cook. You're into food too. Yeah. You do it in everything. So I think if you if you find the most if you take the most successful aspect of your life and then you take that process and you apply it to every other aspect of your life, you'll find the same level of success. Yeah. I agree. It just has to be that way. And if you'll find the areas that you're least successful in life, you tend to be very, very far off of what your success process is. Yeah. It's funny. Um, I, I don't want to say close, but I know how close of a team you are. Like, where I, I get the team aspect of this, I was never really part of a team, like a fight team. Yeah. I was part of a dojo team but you can't say it's a fight team either because the only person that you saw on the mat tonight that even fights is carl it's It's not a fight team it's a it's we're a group of people that rally around a structure that can produce combat sport effectiveness but we just rally around a certain way of doing what we do yeah so you're right technically they're not a fight team but they feel part of a team yes absolutely they do feel part of a team and it actually was not my dojo that taught me that what what what, what taught me to get what you're doing, what taught me that is cooking uh, yeah. in a professional kitchen. Yeah, I worked in a kitchen too. Yeah. There's, that's, that's like military, man. That, you're like part, you're like special forces in a kitchen because it's yeah. pressure, it's speed, well, this it's is quality. One of my favorite times in the kitchen, I worked at a Bayhead Yacht Club basically doing banquets, is we will turn out 180 dinners of three different proteins or vegetarian with, you know, starch, sauce, garnish. We'll turn out assembly line style, all hot food, 180 dishes. I've timed it in 22 minutes. Yeah. And in order to do that, every single person on that line needs to know his place, know exactly what he's doing and work all together as one team. That's my favorite part because that's not the only thing I do there. But when we do that, when, when we successfully turn out, 180 dinners in 22 minutes and it looks good and it tastes delicious. It's like, man, I was part of that. That was really cool. That was really cool. But the reason it's really cool is because you guys are all really good at it. Yeah. If it, if you were putting out shit, you wouldn't be real happy about it. No. Well, you're successful at it. You, you there. It's weird. I think everybody has that sweet spot where, because you could actually replicate that experience in other fields and not feel as good about it because mm-hmm. you, you just don't give a shit. You happen right. to like food a lot. Yeah. So being successful with food is something that you really like. So that's good. But, you know, <clears throat> that you just – you found that success flow for you. And again, if you take that flow and you take that sense of accomplishment, you're doing something that you enjoy doing. Yep. 
I don't know how you feel about the people you're doing it with, but you have a sense of camaraderie because... I feel great about those people. They're awesome. You know, it's really funny. I don't have to like every single person I train personally. But if we identify... But if we're all charging towards the same direction together... You don't have to. It makes up for the personal thing. We don't go... We don't... like These people don't come over my house. No. I don't. We don't go out to dinner. They have a job to do. You have a job to do. Like we see each other here. Sure. We see each other when we watch fights. Sometimes, we see each other when we get together here and there. Mm-hmm. But this, these people, are an integral part of my existence. But again, I go home to my family. They go home to their family. Sure. They go to work tomorrow. I come back here tomorrow. Like we all do our thing. But um, yeah, that that group focus overcomes a lot of the personal obstacles and that goes back to even what i was saying with the definition part if you look at my mat i'm an indian guy yeah. i've got a hispanic guy i've got a black guy a, a white a guy i got a girl i got a woman like i have all these different walks of life that come in here and we're all the same pile of sweaty shit yeah. on the mat None of it matters. And when you're in the kitchen and you're going a million miles an hour working towards a group goal, you don't give a shit about any of the social parameters that dictate a lot you of other people's. You can't. There's physically no time. You you got to get you got to get it done. So I think the lesson, the message out of all that is, is shut the fuck up yeah. and get to work on what you care about. Yeah. Because when you're happy and when you're doing what you like to do. You don't have enough time to bitch and moan no. and sit in the echo chamber. In settings like that, and no, nobody cares anyway. No. The only people who care the same miserable fucks as you. Right. My favorite one is Facebook. I have a lot of friends on Facebook, but that was for a reason. Mm-hmm. I went and actively recruited a large group of people within this industry to be my friends on there so I can get a sense of things and to, cause that was during a period where I was trying to expand my outreach, get to know more people in the industry, whatever. Was uh, a couple of years ago, I started working on that. I just, I just wanted to get a, I wanted to have a, 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 a finger on the pulse, a larger finger on the pulse than I did yeah. get outside of my own understanding. I have, I have friends on Facebook that do every fucking martial art on the planet, sure. but I got 3,200 friends. Mm-hmm. I don't care if you have three friends or you have 3,200. The problem that you run into there is we tend to be more similar than we are different. So when you go on Facebook and you make your post about who you love or hate, like or dislike, the majority of the people that you're speaking to are going to be like-minded as you because that's why you're friends. Yeah. You don't – most people don't put people on their feed that are saying shit they don't like. Yeah. Who wants to be bombarded with stuff they don't like all day? Nobody. Nobody Nobody does. But I, I enjoy most talking with people who are smart who disagree with me. But you're not going to go on social media 20 20- – you're not going to go on social media. You're not going to go on Facebook and Instagram to be annoyed by people that bother you all day. You're going to look at pictures and read things and watch stuff that's within your your wheelhouse. Sure. If you're going on there to be pissed off all the time, which there are people. You know, I think there are more people out there than we think. No, but the people that are speaking on there are speaking to people like them because they're not looking to be hated. They're looking to be agreed with. Mm. They're putting – so – you go and you make a comment. You're looking to pick a fight 
so you get attention, but you're also looking for the 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 weird nerds like you to come out and be like, you're right. Yeah. He is a jerk off. Yeah. That guy shouldn't have said that. And then it turns into this weird like echo chamber. You know, I call it the intellectual circle jerk. You just sit around jerking each other off intellectually about bullshit. You're not sitting there having an intellectual conversation with a a diverse group of opinions. You're on the internet saying you're stupid. I hope you die. (laughs) You know, Corey Anderson He's a UFC fighter that comes through here. He's Corey, uh, Carl, one of Carl's main training partners. It's it's hilarious. You go on his feed. He puts up a picture, and then you get somebody like, yeah, Corey, like you're a good fighter. You're a top five. I hate your style. Yeah, I wish you didn't take people down so much. I hate that you're black. Yeah, I, heard <laughs> that. I heard that on one of your last podcasts. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, asshole. Yeah. You just, you're just like a white supremacist who's trying to hide that behind some other bullshit. Like, yeah. but, but again, it's, it, people get to these stupid places. And then the guys are like, yeah, I don't like you because you're black. And then somebody else is like, yeah, I don't like him because he's black too. Yeah, fuck black people. And the next thing you know, you got 35 people going, black people suck. You know, But it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you do. There's probably a black dude on one of my posts who got all of his other friends say i don't like you because you're white like it just happens it just happens because the internet brings out the worst shit in people it sure does but but in my friend circle you're not going to find that you're not going to see that on my instagram feed you're not going to see that on my facebook page because it's people that aren't going to say that because my friends are my friends who think like me more i i do have a friend on facebook who is a is extremely left and i had to tell him one day i'm like hey man um you're speaking to people that think like you yeah. You're talking about change, but you're not creating any change because you guys are all doing the same shit anyway. Yeah. Like you guys are all on the same page. You're not asking them to change. Mm-hmm. You're not taking someone with an opposing opinion and changing their behavior. You're talking to people that already agree with you yeah. about shit they already agree with. That's not going to change anything because you're already going to go do it anyway. That is not called change. <laughs> so if you want to have an open discussion – that's different. But there's not many forms for that because people really don't want to address that. People just want to feel right. Yeah. And that's what happens in martial arts a lot. Like you get people that do – okay, so there's a Taekwondo school in this town. There's two actually. Mm-hmm. And one embraces what they are. The guy's like, yeah, I, I teach like kids how to get in better shape and I tell them you're never going to be some great UFC champ. You're going to be someone who does Taekwondo. Yeah, I respect that. But then there's another guy who took the geese off and he put shorts on them and he put belts around their shorts. Yeah, you just mouthed in. You're right. <laughs> I'm not going to say the name though. I'm not going to say it. I'm not going to give him. I, I don't even want to give him any attention. Uh, but took the gi off, put MMA shorts on and a gym t-shirt. But then they put the Taekwondo belts around their waist, which makes no fucking sense. And then... They basically started doing Taekwondo looking like they're doing MMA and then started getting together to watch UFCs and local businesses and start talking about how they're MMA and this and this and that. I'm like, no, you're Taekwondo. Yeah. You're not MMA. Why can't you be comfortable with what you were? Oh, because you only care about marketing and making money. You're actually not really into martial arts. Mm -hmm. You just want to make friends and make money and be popular in town. It's not cool. Yeah. So, you know, you get this weird thing where people want what they want and they just morph to kind of get it and it's just this odd thing i i think that having being honest about who we are if you do taekwondo i have no problem with it we already defined i don't care what anybody does just be honest about what you do that's all 
You know, here, here's, here's the deal. I have kickboxing class. What do you do? We, we do kickboxing. Are you happy doing it? Yes. Good. We're done. Nothing else to talk about. That's it. That's it. Yeah. Then if you come in and you say, you know what? I, I think I'm going to try something else. Why? Well, I'm not as happy doing this anymore. Good. Go do something that's going to make you happy. Yeah. Go do it. Don't be miserable because of some bullshit that I'm trying to, you know, tell you. Yeah. Just be happy. Be yourself. Find yourself. It's all good. It's all good. It's, it, it's, it is. It, that, I, I really wish more people would fight to be themselves than fight about being called out for who they're pretending to be. Like, you know, that's, again, all these definitions and stuff. It's like when you're lost, you define yourself with somebody else's definition. But when you really know who you are, you're, you're too busy working to give a shit. And thus far, that was, I think my, my biggest professional accomplishment so far, I want to say, is that I did finally figure out who I am and, it was, and realize that, I was, well, that I'm okay with who I am professionally and as a human being. And that is because of talking with you and becoming friends with you but also kind of coincides with when I, met, when I met my wife. Of course. But you wouldn't meet your wife unless you were actually in that kind of space. Same right. shit happened to me with my wife. Yeah, she helped. She helped me. I used to be a lot more judgmental about people, and she was like, "If they're happy, what do you care?" Yeah, because she's 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 coming from a grounded, normal human. She's a civilian. Thing. Yeah. That's what I like to call yeah, civilians. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She wasn't brainwashed to think like people had to be a certain way. No. And she's Canadian, so she's totally yeah. different yeah. than than. Americans I, are definitely more combative, and people from New Jersey are really more combative. Yes. Yes, we are. Yeah. Uh, there's something about New Jersey. We're just crankier. I like Jersey. One of my one of my good friends in life was Sean Tompkins, and he's what well, he's no longer with us. Yes. He's from Canada, and he used to always joke. He, was, he used to say, you speak really fast, you curse a lot, and you're really angry. I'm like, I'm actually not angry. I'm in a really good mood there's right just, now. There's like, just, there's just, a great there's mood. just <laughs> a little it's a different energy yeah, from New Jersey. Edge. There's an edge. It's all good. Yeah, it is what it is on that in that regard. But it's funny. I I was saying with with uh, I was I was having to talk with somebody else about this. It's 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 no coincidence that I met my wife when I was 34 because it was a point where I really matured into a through a particular period of my life i there was a lot of growing up between 27 and 34 when sure. i was most comfortable with myself was when i found the person that i could be most comfortable with right and you probably met her at the exact right time yeah and it's you know it's funny um i don't know how it is for you or anybody else i just know how it is for me the the thing about marriage the confidence marriage gives me because I really respect who my wife is. Me too. And the fact that my wife loves me before me really gives me even greater confidence to accept myself. Yes. That's I, I, huge for me. I hold my wife in an extremely high esteem. And professionally, in every single way, I, I admire her. Yeah. I really do admire her. And it's like, yeah, if this wonderful person thinks even – finds me acceptable yeah <laughs> it's like oh oh okay it's Maybe a very definitive thing for us yeah somebody is. else is willing to accept and sacrifice and fight with and fight for it, it it's truly when someone says 
I'm willing to commit myself as your partner for the rest of our days. Mm-hmm. That is a level of belief that singularly we can believe in ourselves all we want. But when you really do find that person that it, that gives you that commitment, it really is a game changer. It is it's a, a huge changer. thing. And I, I find a lot of people will will shy away from that because in a lot of ways I feel like I've, I have the best thing in the I world. I know, but I have – I have friends that shy away from marriage and they give me this thing like, oh, the institution of marriage, a bunch of bullshit, whatever. And I'm like, whatever. I honestly think you're just – you're you're scared of the idea of having to like to fully commit to something. Well, that's scary. It can be. Hey, what's for me? I got married when I was 34. I had a kid when I was 40. Yeah. Like I, I, I didn't do this when I was 20. Mm-hmm. I mean I didn't do it right away. It took me a long time to get the confidence. My wife and I were together a long time too before we married. We've been really? together 10 years. We've been married like four years. Mm. We were together six years before we got married. I wasn't going to marry. I used to joke. I'm such a dick. I used to joke to her. I said, I'm not going to marry you until you knock you up. Then I literally planned. We were going to go We were go to France after uh, uh, I, I, I had a whole trip planned. We were going to go to France. I was going to propose to my wife in France. But then she fucking got pregnant. No. And I said, fuck. <laughs> now we got to get married in France. So it went from proposing in France to I said, oh, shit, we're getting married. So she tells me she's pregnant. And I was like, hey, we're going to France. You want to get married in France? And she was like, yeah. I was like, okay. And so I was like, all right, we're just going to get married there. And she was like, you dick. You mm-hmm. you told me that you, were, you weren't going to marry me until I got pregnant. I was like, I know, but I just want you to understand. Like, really, seriously, I was going to propose to you in France. I really, really was going to do it. I don't know if she really believes me on that. That's funny. I don't think she gives a shit anymore either because now we're going into our second kid and we're good. Yeah, you're good. I was never – we were never formally engaged. I never never proposed to her. For us, it was a binary thing, but it was a different situation where we were not married one day and married the the next. Yeah. It was – I want to say more of an immigration thing because she was here on a work visa when we were dating. And if she lost her job, she couldn't stay in the country. So we began the process of the – uh, green card process and he said you know either a spouse or a family member has to sponsor you and since all our families in Canada yeah and we're not married yet the lawyer said listen I can't legally advise you to get married I can't but you should get married if you want to <laughs> and it was at our immigration lawyer up in, we were up in Jersey City so it was when we were coming back from the meeting and we were on the turnpike and we're like, well, we're going to get married anyway, right? And she was like, yeah. Like, we knew this was going to happen. So I was like, so let's do it. Let's just do it. Let's just do this. And she was like, yeah. So if technically our engagement was then, we got engaged on the New Jersey Turnpike. That's really funny. Well, my wife and I actually were at the grounds for sculpture planning our – so we got married in France, and then we had a small gathering of people in grounds for sculpture when we got back. Where is that? Grounds for Sculpture out by Hamilton. Amazing place. Okay. You should go. All right. Really amazing place. Look it up. Grounds for Sculpture. And they have an amazing French French restaurant called Rats. It's the worst fucking name for a restaurant ever. Worst and best, actually. <laughs> but it's an amazing restaurant, and the restaurant itself is built to mimic a Van Gogh painting. So it's just an amazing oh, place. I've seen this on some Facebook post or somewhere. Yeah, so, yeah amazing place. It. Yeah. So – that was one of the first places we went. We really mm-hmm. liked the restaurant, loved the food, blah, blah, blah. So we go there and we're planning our reception. And I proposed to her. Actually, we were going, I was like, well, let's go for a walk. And I, and we had one spot that we particularly like, and I actually proposed to her there. And she was like, 
I already said yes. We're going to France to get married, but ah, so now we've got to yeah. have a photo op. i got a ring for you. We're Why good. Not? So, go. yeah, and then we went to France, and we got married. We did um, we did our, our ceremony in France, and, uh, yeah, then we did a little reception back here. And, yeah. Not too many people can say they got married on a, on a boat on the Seine underneath the Eiffel Tower. No. No. I don't do things normal. So what? You do you. No, I do me. That's the way it goes. You do you. You got to do who you are. That's the way it is. I, it's, it's funny, though. The um, I think finding a partner, finding the confidence, all that stuff, it all goes back to everything we're talking about. I th- the, the, If you want to wrap up everything we've been saying, it, it, it is the the do you part and – Know you first and then do you. You have to know you so you can do you. Yeah. And you can't be afraid of finding out who you are. I can readily admit, when I figured out who I was, I I didn't like who I was at the time I figured out who I was. Okay. There were times before that that I would have been more comfortable with figuring that shit out. But it is what it is. I mean, if you're really trying to peel the layers of the onion away to yourself, how often is it you're going to find that everything that you see you like? I mean, I, never. I, never. Never. I would imagine there'd be... Many, many, many things. Or your sociopath, if you, if you like everything. True. Seriously, yeah. I mean, it's the good and the bad part. That's we we chase comfort too much as a as a as a society. We chase we chase a we constantly avoiding. I mean, if it entered, if you look at the way we entertain ourselves, you look mm-hmm. at the way everything's designed. It's just to. Kind of keep you in that numb state where you kind of feel like you know who you are, but you're not really sure. And ultimately, the reason I embrace training, the reason I embraced coaching, the reason I have stayed in this is because I think the only way to really know who you are is to push yourself beyond a comfort zone where you're forced to dig deep and go for it. Sure. Because that's when you find out what everything's about. When things are good. Nobody knows shit. It's just yeah. good. It's party time. Yeah. Woo, everything's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay, I'm going to keep bullshitting myself because it's right. great. But when it's bad, that's when you find out how strong you are. That's how you find out how much you really know, how, what you really want. You find everything when you hit the bottom, Yeah. not the top. And you know that. Of course You I personally do. know that really well. I do. So I do. you've had your own struggles and you know, uh, you've had some struggles and – the one thing I sensed it when uh, – it's kind of like when you struggle with something at first, you realize you're struggling. It's kind of – it's this weird thing where you know it, you feel good that you're addressing it, but you're almost embarrassed by the fact that you have it. But then you find the confidence to kind of communicate that you got stuff going on and then you realize who is cool in your life and who's not because yeah. the people that accept you be – and it's funny you you've gone through some stuff and the fact that you're going through the stuff my respect level increases because you know being honest is not easy no fighting and struggling is not easy sure and you've maintained you've been very positive and you've embraced Moving forward in a in a in a in a better way, 
in a very transparent process, and that's been really cool. So, And all the people that are close to me in my life, I know that if I wouldn't have addressed some of my issues and just kept going down that path, I would have lost a lot of respect from a lot of those people, and yeah. deserve, deservedly so. I used to have a rule for myself when I taught kids, and the rule was if if I had a choice in front of me, if I was going to be uncomfortable standing in front of my kids' class and telling the kids and their parents what I did. And you know it's right or wrong. Yeah, yeah. that was like a big one. Yeah. Yeah, because we a lot of us we come up with excuses to justify stuff. Yeah. But if you can't tell a kid or you can't tell a kid's parent what you did, you shouldn't have done it. Nope. Definitely shouldn't have done it. And if you want to stand in front of kids, I standing mean, you know, in front of adults is different. We all know what right and wrong is. We really, we do. really do. It's the cho- it's absolutely we, we cho- it's the choices we make. And you can't make up excuses no. to justify. That's the shit that drives me nuts. It's black and white. It's right or wrong. You know. Yeah. There's no, eh, I don't know, it's kind of... And excuses is your bullshit. Yeah. You're bullshitting the choice you make. And it's not right or wrong in context. It's right or wrong. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's right or wrong. It's very, very black and white. And, and if, yeah, if you can't, if you can't stand in front of your kid's class and tell them, let's maybe not do that. Exactly. And I, I mean, I teach, I only teach adults, but I still hold that standard of, I wouldn't want to do something that these people would not want to tell somebody else. Yeah, it doesn't have to be kids. It could be any group of people that you respect, whose respect that you want. If you said it, how would they, you know? Most, you? a lot of the guys that I'm training are parents. I, w- sure. I wouldn't want them to go home and be like, oh, I got to wait for my kids to go to bed before I can tell them what, what he did. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And it's, yeah. I don't really, and it's funny, I got I to gotta throw out on that one. I don't really give a shit what anyone's opinion about me is, but it's because I understand what's right and what's wrong for myself. Right. And I do right way more than I do wrong. And of if course. I do wrong, I do everything I can to not continue doing wrong. Sure. Like I understand that I fall, but I do get back up and I tend to get back up stronger and it, it's a learning process. But um, I don't care what people think, but I also do take into account how the world is going to judge me based upon my actions. And it you can't be carefree to the point of like not thinking that way if you – care about impact and as an instructor with a school legacy does matter yes i do want people to look at the years in which i've spent coaching and feel that the world's a better spot for some of the things i've done yeah and if it's not i mean i'm teaching in a public forum i would hope that i can create a positive impact on the public i mean that's one of the main motivations of coaching it can't be a can't be a selfish thing. I mean, if I'm if I'm 80 sitting by myself and no one gives a shit about anything I did, I think I screwed up. Yes. But yeah. I, I I don't. I mean, I sit here going on 44. I don't think I can. I think I have the luxury now of of, of recognizing that. Yeah, I've I've done some good things. You have done some good things. I've done some bad things. Yes, we both have. But I've and owned them, even, and I, I even, think I, even just we're talking professionally. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And I think that I've turned most of the negatives into positives too. And um, not everybody will get it, but they don't have to. And again, I'm cool. When you did the bad things you did at the time, you were doing what you thought was best with the information that you had. And I've purely fucked up too. Sure, of course. We all have. That's what young and stupid's all about. Yeah, we were both young and both very stupid about certain things, but but everybody was. Everybody is. is. That's, That's again the human part. So I guess if, if I'm going to wrap this up, because we've been going a while, is uh, you do have to embrace who you are. You have to move. Yeah, You really do have to define what you want first and foremost so that you have a direction to move in. 
then you have to understand who you are so that you're honestly doing the things you're doing and your goal is something that really maps truly to you and your needs and wants and mm. you really just have to embrace the humanity aspect and stop expecting you always have to shoot really high but don't have expectations that deny you of your humanity don't don't expect to be a fucking wizard because there's no magic no there's no magic just expect it's to be human. the We're best human, human you can possibly be and i'm really enjoying that journey of becoming a better human not even just as an instructor or businessman a better a better friend a better a better dog owner a better husband You're a better fucking person dude yeah it's fun it's great Figure, yeah. figuring this shit out working on stuff i think i mean every monday what can i do one thing this week that make me not a better human being. Yeah. Even if it's something stupid. Even if it's go to bed at eleven thirty instead of eleven forty. Whatever it is, it doesn't yeah. matter what it is. But it's always it's always that process of working on myself and working on things. Yep. It's great. It's so much fun. I'm having a blast, man. Yeah. It. it yeah. You. You really. I think too in 2018 when all there's so all these definitions. I'm coming back to that again, but. There's so many definitions out there. There's so much noise and there's so much static that just tries to get in the way. I think the most successful thing anybody, man, woman, child, the most important thing we can be at this particular time is ourselves yep. so that we can, you know, uh, that's that's how you make your mark in a very loud world. Just be. You have to – but to be is authentically you within the proper context possible. Mm-hmm. And just never and never lose sight of the fact that we're either selling or buying. Yeah. <laughs> Constantly. Yeah. You're either selling or buying. There's no there's there's no way around it. Yeah. And true freedom comes from choice and acceptance of the fact that you have the ability to make those choices. You don't give the power up to other people by by, by allowing them to, to change the choices that you know you should be making for yourself. Yeah. I think that's what we. Huge. That's why we train. Yeah. I think that we. I, combat sports, combat arts, martial arts, whatever. I don't think we train to to. I don't. We're not training to be killers. We're just training to be strong. And being strong is not how much you can lift. It's not how many people you can knock out. Strong is being you. And being you in a way that does not let the world break you of right. that. And, that, and that's where a lot of people will come come back to you and come back to me later on in life when they when you train them as kids and you know I found success I'd say because you know when I was training with you you taught me to never give up and I didn't give up in this situation because of yeah. that and this because of this and this because and I found success because of that training and I think that's that's legacy right there yeah and so- of course there are going to be some people who are like yeah you really messed me up in this and that but. Nobody's perfect. Nobody's perfect. Well, we try to be. We do the... Shoot we, for the stars so you land on the moon. We, yeah, exactly. Because you know I'm doing the best I can do, and I know you're doing the best yeah. you can do. Yeah. Absolutely. That's, That's the honest aspect of it. Just doing the best we can with what we got right now. Right. So, Mike. Brian. Tell people where they can find you. You can find me at East Coast Martial Arts, located in Wall, New Jersey, on 35. If anybody is familiar where the Kmart is, we're across the street, next to the East Street Bagels and uh, Muscle Maker Grill. What's your website? EastCoastCombatArts.com. What's your social? 
What? What's your social I handle? You're asking for my social security. No, 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 no. <laughs> hey, Mike, can you give the world your social and also your credit card while you're at it? Yeah. What? So East, yeah. Co- East Coast Martial Arts um, on Instagram, East Coast Martial Arts on Facebook. All right. Well, social. That's funny. You can find me at brianwright732.com. That's where I have most of uh, my writing, my uh, vlogs, blogs, all that kind of stuff. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at brianwright732. You can find the gym, killerbcsa.com. Also, killerbcsa on Instagram and Twitter. Where weird gay things happen after hours, apparently. Yeah, this is, yeah, we have weird gay things going on in the background. Thank God we didn't open the door and actually see what was happening. Yeah. I don't know what we're walking into when I walk out of here. But you can find all the episodes of The Hivecast at thehivecast.com. You can find us on Google Play, iTunes, TuneIn. You can download directly from the website, all those good things. I got to do shout outs to the people that make this possible. That's Sucker Punch Entertainment, Alienware, Pure Spectrum, and uh, Meal Plans to Go keeps us fueled. New Jersey Nutrition keeps us uh, full of vitamins and protein powders and all the little things we need to round out our diet. I think I've hit them all. I feel like there's one you're missing. I do too. Who am I missing here? I can't think of the name of it. I don't know, but, but we, one we of these days when we chat, I want to talk nutrition with you and Carl, like how you guys manage food and whatnot during during camp. Yeah, absolutely, Mike. This will not be uh, a first and last. We will bring you back. Uh, we can time. sit down with Carl. And, you know, we can you know ask more specific things. I want the people to get to know you and get to know some of the cool things that our relationship is built. And uh, yeah, check Mike out if you have a kid in the area that's looking to train. He's the only spot I would recommend, and Mike appreciate knows that. it. Uh, I appreciate Carl's that. actually Carl's going to bring his daughter there, and when my son's of age, that's the place he's going to go. So, yeah, when, Mike, when he turns eleven. Yeah, when he turns fifteen, it's getting older and older <laughs> as we go. I don't know. My kid's a maniac. You I might know. be right on that regard. Well, I didn't think I said that. Yeah. I, I've met him. I know him. All right, Mike. All right, it was yeah. been a pleasure. So, yeah, likewise. This is Brian Wright with Mike McIntosh. The Hive. We are out. Good stuff, man. That was great.